Before we start today's show, I want to tell you guys about a great libertarian blog called The Liberty Theorist. The Liberty Theorist is where our friend Brad Tracy discusses all of the shady things government has been up to and why libertarianism is the only viable way to keep power out of the hands of government. Brad is a Rothbardian libertarian who believes that the U.S. is desperately in need of prison reform. I'll give you a uh, hell yeah to that. I agree there. That victimless crime should be abolished. Yes, agree with that. And that we need to end the welfare, warfare, and spy state. Yep, follow along with you there. And that true free market capitalism is the only way to go. Well, socialism kills human production. Can't argue with that. Bottom line, the government should stay the hell out of your life. You can find The Liberty Theorist by going to medium.com slash at, that's the at sign, Liberty Theorist. You can also find it on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash The Liberty Theorist. Check it out today. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, a weekly show right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here at Lions of Liberty, we have a bit of a uh, variety channel. My Friday show, Felony Friday, is one of the great shows, but there's two more on Monday and Wednesday. Monday show hosted by Mark Clare, Wednesday by Brian McWilliams. They both bring their own flavor and flair to the podcasting game. Check those out. Subscribe to Lions of Liberty on your podcasting app to get all three. And today's episode of Felony Friday is another great one. I have an awesome guest lined up who is going to share another story of injustice in the criminal justice system. And we're going to shine a light and we are going to keep the momentum going, keep the momentum going for change in the criminal justice system. So share this show, tell a friend, text it to a friend, tell a stranger on the street. I don't care. Enjoy today's show. My guest today on Felony Friday is Cynthia Solis. Cynthia's husband, uh, Baldemir Solis, is serving a life sentence for a nonviolent crime for a drug conspiracy case. Uh, Cynthia is very active, um, working for clemency for her husband and clemency for others in the criminal justice community. So I wanted to have her on the show to talk about her husband's case and about criminal justice reform uh, in general. So Cynthia, welcome to Felony Friday. Hello. Nice to meet you guys. My name is Cynthia Solis. Yes, thank you for coming on the show. And, you know, a lot of times I bring on people who have, you know, been through the system themselves and have come out on the other side to, uh, to share their story and to share the injustice that they've suffered. But I will bring on also spouses and loved ones of people who, who are still incarcerated. I think that's also very, very important. And that's the case here, obviously, with your husband. So I want to talk about, you know, ex- exactly what happened with the case and the status of, of his case now and, and paths for, uh, for clemency, for, for, for uh, release. But before we do that, just to kind of set the stage, if you could just share some, some background about you and your husband and uh, what your life was like prior to uh, him being arrested. Um, 
my husband and I had been together since I was 17 years old and um, I'm 45 years old now. So we've spent a lot of time together and we had a 16 year old son. Well, actually he was 14 whenever he left. And then we also had a daughter because my husband actually went on the run for six years because his attorney had advised him to do that because some of his friends had gotten picked up and um, his attorney said that it would be better if he went on the run because he don't, he didn't know when he would be able to be walking out at those doors again. Hmm. So he completely scared my husband. And so my husband left not knowing exactly if they were even going to come after him or not. He just left and we were in South Padre Island and my mother called us and said that the, that the FBI had come to her house looking for him. And so um, he never came back home. Me and my son came home and that was in 2012, June in 2012. And um, we didn't, before we went on vacation, our life was normal. Like he did storage wars and he did, uh, he would buy and sell cars and mm -hmm. but storage wars was his main thing. And uh, so he, my son wasn't used to not having his father around and we had to go back and forth. He was on the run for actually six years. Wow. Yes. Were you able to stay in contact with him when he was, on the run or? Um, we could stay in contact with him every now and then during the time that he was on the run. We also had a daughter and, um, she, um, she was two years old whenever they came and picked him up in 2016. Um, but we, we would definitely be in contact whenever, whenever we could, when school had vacation or whatnot, when they did come, on September 16, 2016, they, um, we were there, me and my daughter were there with my husband and luckily they didn't take me with them. So what was, what was the case? What charges was he facing? The case was, uh, possession of a controlled substance with intent to deliver a conspiracy case, mm -hmm. but he had not even been indicted yet or anything. Um, during the time that he was in on the run, they had written an article about him that they tried to put a, a hit on a police officer that he had tried to put a hit on a police officer. Um, we did not know what that was about. We didn't, we didn't even know who the policeman was, but eight officers had been arrested. I mean, had been fired from the Arlington police department in Texas. And, um, at the end of everything, he was cleared from that. But when they, when they picked him up, they told us that he, um, that he had to start talking. He, they knew that he, new people. And if they didn't, that they were going to come and pick me up as well. So, so when they threatened him saying that he needed to start talking, um, he ended up taking the case to trial, correct or no? Yes, yes. he definitely took the case to trial. Um, he, he didn't have anything to talk about. So 
he took the case to trial during the time that they were accusing him of um, doing the things that he did. He was actually in rehab. I had done did an intervention on him because he had a drug problem. Mm-hmm. And um, whenever, whenever he was accused of selling all this dope, he was at, in rehab. And so when, when we were in, at trial, three people spoke against him and one of all the people never knew when or how long he had been to rehab. They had said that he was there for a whole year one of them said that he was there for six months, which he had only been there for 30 days. And during the time that they had said that they were buying drugs from him, it wasn't matching up because the people from the rehab place actually came and spoke on his behalf and actually proved the days that he was there. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if the jury just didn't hear it or where they got lost because that proved that he was not, they are selling those drugs that they were saying that he was selling. Um, so. so did they have any, what evidence did they have uh, against him? Was it, was it just testimony of other people accusing him? That's yes. It was hearsay and oh, ghost dope. evidence and ghost dope. Well, that's, yeah, that's too common. That's what it seems like it always is. Yes. Uh, so going into the trial itself, um, did he know, did you know, potentially he could end up with a life sentence? Well, no, we definitely did not know. They had, um, like you said, it sounds too common. To us, it wasn't common at the time mm-hmm. because we we felt that we could win it. and We were going to win the case because we had all this proof proving his innocence. But since they had told him that they would give him a 45-year sentence, had if he did not if he took a plea bargain it was gonna be 45 years he was 43 42 years old whenever they caught him so signing for 45 years is pretty much a life sentence and if he would have signed he wouldn't have been able to to fight it or even have a way to get out Mm -hmm. so we decided to take it to trial not knowing that he could actually get a life sentence we thought they were bluffing us we thought as soon as they hear our case they're gonna they're gonna know that were innocent up until they found him guilty. We thought we had won. Wow. Yeah. So so what, what was that like when you heard, when you heard the verdict read then? Um, it was the most horrible feeling in the world. I ran into the restroom crying and uh, a bunch of DEA agents, uh, came running out behind me and they were pounding on the door of the restroom and I didn't understand. Then my cousin came inside and said, are you okay? And I said, of course, I'm okay. What do you mean? He's, she said, the, the feds are waiting for you outside the restroom door. And as soon as she said that, they busted the door open in the restroom. And they said, are there any um, jurors in the restroom? They thought I was going to try to hurt the jurors in the restroom. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> well, so... The sentencing was in what what year? How many years ago? Uh, twenty. He was he went to court on twenty sixteen, but he was not sentenced until twenty seventeen. Okay. Did they hold it against him in court that he was, uh, you know, quote unquote, on, on the run? Was that something that was brought up? Um, actually, they did not. They, they it was brought up a little bit, but their main focus was really on the fact that he had put a hit on the police officer. 
So, so, th- was, so that was the focus, but that wasn't even a part of what he was convicted of. Right, exactly. I don't know if you know this, but if you're, have you heard of Ross Ulbricht? No. Ross Ulbricht is a guy, uh, he was probably 22 years old when he created a website called Silk Road, which was a, uh, it was a, a website on the, the dark web where you know, people could go buy and sell mostly marijuana. That's essentially mm-hmm. what it was. And the feds got involved and they were actually a- acting as administrators on the site. And when they did finally, when they arrested Ross and they bring him to trial, they did the same thing. They brought up that um, they, they said they had evidence that Ross had put a hit out. And, and then all of a sudden, after he's convicted, that just went away and it was nothing. So this <laughs> might be a, a common tactic that they use. Right. Well, that's what we kind of thought. We thought that they were making it such a big deal because we had no clue who this man was. But the fact that they had posted it, uh, a newspaper article about it hmm. and completely, completely, they even added me into the article and they were saying a bunch of things for me. And I mean, I had a job. My coworkers read all that. It was so embarrassing to us. And um, But at, the, at the, his sentencing date, the judge actually ordered him ordered the police officer to show up for court, which was something that we wanted from the beginning because we knew that the main focus of him being there was because of this cop. And so we wanted to clear our name. And um, our our judge was John McBride. I don't know if you've heard of him before. No. He's a really, really tough judge. I think he's going to be 90 years old soon. And um, so our attorney didn't want to bring up the fact that um, that he had not put a uh, hit on a police officer and he didn't, she didn't want to request for him to be there because she said, I won't get time to clear your name and the jurors will only see cop killer, cop killer. And so I would, it, she didn't think it was in our best interest to do that. So luckily, whenever he was sentenced, he, the judge had, uh, subpoenaed him to be there. And when he was there, he was on on the on the bench, and the and the judge is asking him questions. And he got really upset at the police officer, and he said, "Sir, do you understand that you have brought this case to where it's at right now? And I see a lot of smoke with no fire, and I cannot believe that you have led this to go get this far, because you have absolutely no evidence at all whatsoever." to hold against this man and you brought this case to be where it's at. And yeah, he was, he was pretty upset, but, and so after he cleared him, he, he told the PSR lady, Hey, uh, we, his points should go below life. And I don't know what exactly the terminology that they used or whatever, Mm -hmm. but they said, it does not go below life because of something, I guess, because he took it to trial and his points did not go below life. So they gave him life. And then they also had given him a leadership role. And they had given him, charged him for something that he did when he was like 17 or 18 years old. I think a possession of marijuana or something. Mm-hmm. And um, so his points were way above normal. Um, I mean, way higher than they were supposed to be. But then they put it to like the maximum points that he could actually be charged with. 
Jones. How's it been for for you um, having your your husband in prison, um, having you know the father of, of of your children in prison? How have you been able to deal with that? It's been the hardest thing in my life. Um, my son now he's nineteen years old. And um, he just went off to college. And my daughter just started kindergarten. So um, we, we I've, I've done whatever I can to do to be the best mom and dad that I can possibly be. Um, I thought it was going to be so easy to get him out. Once they found out that that he was not guilty and that they used hearsay and that they did ghost dope, and I figured once an attorney listened to us that it was going to be so easy to bring him home. And then I found out later that that this is so common. Mm-hmm. This is not something that that's that easy for for someone to come home on. And now my kids are just waiting for one of his appeals to go through and are just some kind of positive. We've always stayed, I've always tried to stay positive about it because I never want to believe that he's going to be there for life. Um, I, I totally believe he will be coming home. I don't know how yet, but I know he, he doesn't deserve to be there. He's actually sitting 50 yards away from El Chapo. At, at really? the, yes. Wow. Yeah, and we actually have not seen him for three years now because they had sent him to Chicago and he was in a in a county jail in, in Chicago hmm. for for two years, I believe. And then they uh, we would if we would have gone to visit, it would have been a 20 minute visitation behind glass. And I couldn't see me taking my children up there to see their father behind the glass for 20 minutes, being that we live in Texas. And then he finally got changed to Colorado and he, um, he was finally approved. And right when he was approved, we were getting ready to go there whenever coronavirus hit. So, so how do you keep in touch just with phone calls and, and letters? That's emails, emails. Mm-hmm. What's uh, how's coronavirus been in the prison where he is? Well, as far as he knows, there hasn't been not one case of, of the virus there yet. That's good. Yes. But he says that they're still on lockdown, so they get to get out at least one or two hours a day. And the rest of it, it's, he says, it's like kind of being in your closet for the rest of the day. It's unimaginable. So yes. going forward from here, what are the avenues for clemency or for compassionate release or what are the, the options? Um, he did his direct appeal, which of course was denied. Um, he just finished turning in his 2255, which is the second appeal. And um, that was denied. So we came back with, um, I guess a response to the denial and that was denied on the, on the 8th and the judge didn't even hadn't even received it. The judge received it on the 9th, but he denied it on the 8th. (laughs) How how do, how do you know that he didn't receive it 
or well, it, it it shows like when they received it, and mm-hmm. the and when he he didn't the judge hadn't even received it, and and he had already denied it, and he also denied. I don't know another word that my husband said, but my husband hadn't even filed for that yet either. So he denied that and something else just so that he wouldn't come back with something to, to try to, I guess, have any kind of backup. (laughs) What about compassionate release as a, uh, as a route? Because doesn't that go, does that go to the judge or does that go to the prosecutor or both? Um, I'm not sure about that yet um i was we were really just i just found out saturday friday friday Mm -hmm. i found out that his 2255 response had been denied also so we still haven't even gotten to the next step yet yeah so i'm really not too sure um about that Hey, just want to take a real quick minute here to talk about another Libertarian podcast. If you haven't listened to Good Morning Liberty, it's a five-day-per-week show. Nate and Charlie, I don't know how they do it, five days per week, pumping out fantastic content. Also, um, their Twitter game, I have to say, I've been following them on Twitter, is on point. At Good AM Liberty, Check it out. I don't know if it's Nate or Charlie running the account, but whichever one is doing it, fantastic job. Um also, their, their show. So what is their show? They are trying to really take the onus of trying to change people's minds of how uh, people view libertarians. And they're trying to do this by leading with a message of compassion first, rather than, um, you know, pounding on your keyboard and screaming at people like libertarians uh, love to do. So they're looking at ways in which policies impact people and using the principles of liberty to provide compassionate solutions. Uh, They both have uh, backgrounds in healthcare. They own a healthcare IT company. Check it out. Good Morning Liberty, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also um, subscribe to their podcast by going to BernieLies.com, which uh, in an awesome, so awesome, redirects right to their uh, their podcast links page. So check that out. Good morning, Liberty. You've been active in uh, in other protests, right, for for criminal justice reform. Yes. Can you talk yes. about that a little bit? Yes, um, I've been doing some protests at FMC Fort Worth at and at FMC Carswell. And we started that whenever um, the coronavirus hit because um, my uncle was actually at FMC Fort Worth and he, um, there was no toilet paper, there was no soap, there was no masks. There was absolutely nothing for them to protect themselves. And um, he, there were some people that were, subject to leave they said they were going to they were going to be released to home confinement and then at the last minute he caught the virus and so they didn't let um they didn't let him come home and um so they didn't have any toilet paper for two weeks they didn't have no soap to wash them their cells or anything they had gotten a cot um a cotton cloth mask that didn't fit them and they had that for i believe like a month or two Jeez. Yeah. But your uncle's so, out your uncle's out now? Yeah, so we kept pursu- we kept going we kept going for like two months. I was going daily. Wow. And 
Yes, and he's out, and we were able to. We were sending some pay, some letters to the warden, and um, we were able to get six people, I believe, six men out, and four women were released. Also, well, I'm not saying we, but we were just out there helping and doing our part in it because there were so mm-hmm. many, so many moving pieces that I'm sure finally got the release of people but right well it takes i mean it takes everything it takes pressure from from every angle to uh to make that happen so that's that's great so speaking to um you know other people out there to you know listeners to this show maybe who have a loved one who is in prison um and you know maybe they have a certainty or you know certainty of a release date or uh, something like that, or maybe it's other individuals who, uh, you know, their husband or, or loved one is, is serving a life sentence. What sort of advice would you have for them on, on how to deal with it and how to, on how to work through and on how to, on how to help to comfort um, the loved one who is, who is in prison? Um, well, um, the advice that I have definitely always be there for them, always to at least, answer the phone. That's the only thing that they have for, with the outside world. Um, I believe if, if they wouldn't have that, I don't think they could make it in there. They're, it is extremely rough in there for them. Just I will, where my husband is, and I'm sure if anybody who has a life sentence, they're going to be at a USP. So those kind of places are just horrible. I mean, Unabombers are there. And so I would, I would, just try to be there for them as much as possible. And um, as far as for the, the person themselves, just, I don't know. I just, I find comfort with my children because mm-hmm. they're, I have to have something to take me, take my focus off on my husband because I'm, I'm trying my best to try to bring him home and um, reading every article, trying to just, talk to the right people and, and focus on who do we speak to. But I don't, I don't know exactly what kind of advice, take your vitamins (laughs) and get ready. (laughs) Yeah. So do you think that, I mean, I know at the beginning you mentioned that you and your husband, you know, didn't know how, how common this was. Um, What's the best way to, to educate people? So, everyone understands that, you know, th- this is, this is really like a, an epidemic. I mean, th- this happens consistently across the country with, with ghost dope, with, uh, you know, hearsay testimony. Um, just, just speak out on that for a bit. Like, um, I wish so many people would be aware of this, that this has been happening in our own backyards for many, many years. This is not something that's new. It's just people that don't go through something like this don't even know that this is even a possibility. They don't even believe me when I tell people, "Hey, this is what happened to my husband." But I what wish. Do, what do people? What do people say when you tell them? They, come on, Cynthia, tell me what he really did. <laughs> that's what they say. Well, it's it's important to point that out there because I think that's. I mean, that's like probably a, the general opinion. Probably most people would would respond like that because they they don't believe it. They think we live in a live in a society with with a justice system you know a a just system which we don't right and and i was doing uber and lyft for uh for a while and so i was driving people back and forth and some of them were judges some of them were just regular people just and and the majority of the people that i would say 80 80 to 85 percent of the people did not know 
and I've spoken to a lot of people, like I said, the Uber and Lyft, and and they all were in shock of what I was saying. They just couldn't believe it. Just and so I wish during the pandemic, I wished that there was something that people like say a commercial, kind of like a Black Lives Matter commercial, you know, that people could have been had to have watched a video or watched something that to educate them about mm-hmm. our justice system. Because it's not fair that the government keeps getting away with all these all these unjust things and our families are being torn apart and our software our kids are suffering and and it keeps happening every single day and they just continue getting away with it and and it's almost kind of like it's the good old boy system and they're allowed to do it to us you know yeah and this i mean this is for i'll say it again completely you know nonviolent, victimless crime what, what was the what was the amount of drugs that they said for the ghost dope i don't even know i know it was some a, a large amount of kilos of Yes. But I mean, the, the thing of it was, is that we weren't living a life that would have been, would have matched up to those kilos of mm-hmm. cocaine. Like we were living in a rental house and my car was like a 96 Honda Accord. And I mean, if we were really and truly living that lifestyle, I think we'd be living a little bit better. Right. <laughs> you know, so, but they don't care. They don't really care. They just, and, and if they would have been doing their research, then they wouldn't need these witnesses that were, those witnesses weren't even, um, weren't, what is that, what is that word? They, they couldn't even stand trial for their, their own selves, but yet they were able to stand against my husband. Oh, they were um, credible. They were not credible witnesses, mm-hmm. obviously. And if they weren't credible on their own behalf, two of them had already been, were in prison and they lessened their time to come home. That that should be illegal. I mean, it's 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 criminal that they're allowed to do that. That they're allowed to hold that incentive out there, and still use that testimony during a trial. That that's insanity. That you can trade. All you have to do is say this, and we'll let you go home a little bit earlier. It's criminal. Yes, one of the ladies, she had, I believe, a fifteen-year sentence, and she had only done three years. And she was able to walk out a month after she gave my husband's te- a testimony against my husband. And had your husband ever even heard of the lady before or know who she was? Or? She, she would play, because uh, he would play um, like casino games at different stores and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so he, she would play there also. So she knew of him, but she was like, she, like every one of the, the witnesses said, we are looking to be amongst our family sooner than later. So the, their reasoning behind it was not that they were able to, um, they asked them, did the government offer you anything? And they said, no, we're just looking to walk amongst our families sooner than later. And all three of them had the same testimony. And when, that, yeah. that's a, I've never heard that said before. Wow. So they all said that same exact thing. Yes. Yes. They must have been coached to say that then. They definitely were. That's another thing. Whenever they were in the back, the people, some of the people that were back there with them, uh, that rode on the bus with my husband back, they said they were, they didn't even know what to say. They were sitting there asking each other, what is it that we were supposed to say? And what was it? What was this? And, and it was, yeah, they were, they were, they were definitely coerced onto what to say. And, and the jury was falling asleep during the time of the trial. Like, 
it lasted one day and it should have lasted weeks, they said. But mm -hmm. we got there at seven o'clock in the morning and we left at 8.30 p.m. that evening. And um, it was just insane. That's amazing for, and to result, I mean, I know the sentencing didn't happen that same day, but for, you know, for the verdict to come down just in a day, it's just, it's hard to believe something with that much of an impact on so many lives. Right. Well, I, I want to, I want to thank you, Cynthia, for, for coming on the show and, and sharing, uh, you know, sharing your husband's story, sharing your story. And what you were talking about, about having a, you know, a commercial at the Super Bowl, that'd be awesome to have that. Right now we have, we have, a sh we have this show where we can share these stories and maybe someday this will turn into something bigger and we can get a bigger platform. But, yeah. uh, you know, this, this will go out to thousands of people. So that's, that's a good thing. Trying to, uh, chip away at the, uh, the broken criminal justice system. One, uh, one swing of the ax at a time, but, uh, before, uh, I let you go, just any, any party words, anything else you'd like to add? Um, no, not at the moment. I don't have anything. Just, um, I don't know. I just wish, like you said, I had, I, we had a platform where maybe Kim Kardashian would come out with something and <laughs> there you go. help us use her platform to make people listen. <laughs> Well, pe people joke about that, and I, I have friends that joke about it. And yeah, I understand that she's a reality TV star and her past and all that stuff, but she still has done tremendous work for the criminal justice movement. I mean, you can't take that away from her. Definitely not. I am so happy. I'm so proud that she would even take any kind of concern towards mm -hmm. towards this because this is a serious a serious thing that's happening in our world today, and it's such a such a sad thing that not a enough Americans know about it. Mm -hmm. I wish I could, they could teach it in school. Like my, like my son, he just graduated from school and I wish it, that everybody should learn about how easy it is to get a life sentence in the United States of America, because there's um, people who are dying trying to come here from Mexico or from other countries to be here in land of the free home of the brave. But yet they just don't understand how easy it is to get in trouble here. I'm, I was actually very, very lucky to not be one of their victims. So, yeah, that's, that's true that, because they, they'll try to rope everyone in they can to it. Yes. Yes. They, they were trying to, to make my husband, husband squeeze something out of him just so if not, they were going to come and pick me up. And that was just like uncalled for. I mean, why would they, that's pretty much putting a knife to your neck. Hey, say something about your wife or else we're going to go and get her, mm -hmm. you know? Luckily, but, and our attorney told me, Cynthia, you know, if it was, if I had somewhere to hide you right now, I would. And when she told me that, that is, that was the worst thing, the worst thing I could have heard. Cause I, I knew that meant business. Mm -hmm. And, and another thing is it's so, it's extremely disturbing for us that are left out here on our own to figure life out on our own. Like I'm living with PTSD, with depression and all this, just thinking that they're going to, Maybe they are going to come back and get me. Maybe they are going to keep an eye on my son. My son is named after my husband. How do I know that, that they're not going to try to do something to him? Or like it, they can, they can do so many wrongs to us that I'm just so scared every single day that I make sure I look both ways. I, I use my blinker. Or, I mean, it's just left me at that. And I think they're listening to me and, 
it, it's it's horrible. It's horrible to move forward from this, even even if I I know I have to. But I have children, and it's hard for me, me to live a normal life. That's 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 sad, and uh, you know, ho- hopefully they're they're not listening and they're not you know not following <laughs> you. But who who the heck knows? I mean, I mean. Right. Who knows? I mean, but you know, you just got to stay stay as positive as you can, and I think you're doing a fantastic job with that, and also with you know the the work you're doing, protesting and, and helping those people to to walk free um, down there in Texas. So, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on the show, Cynthia. I, I really do appreciate it, and uh, hopefully, a time from now, six months, a year from now, we can have you and your husband back on. Oh, that would be amazing! Thank you so much for having me. All right, thank you. Hope you enjoyed that episode with another awesome guest here on Felony Friday. A couple things before you go about your day and scramble off to listen to your next podcast. Just want to remind you of a a couple things. First of all, the Lions of Liberty Forum. Are you in it? Have you joined it? It's on Facebook. It's a great place to go to talk about the ideas of liberty, talk about criminal justice reform, all that great stuff. Just go to Facebook. You know that site, right? Just type in the top there, the search bar, Lions of Liberty Forum. It pops up. You click join. We let you in. Easy as that. Do it now. Um, Also, for those of you who know me, who uh, follow me on the uh, social media, you know that I'm passionate about gut health, plant-based supplements, all that good stuff, really healing the body from the inside out. If you or someone you love um, is also interested in really natural healing, getting your gut healthy, overcoming things like uh, anxiety, inflammation, IBS, or maybe you're just trying to lose a few pounds, so much is tied to our gut. 70% of our immunity resides in our gut. 90% of our serotonin is made in our gut, 50% of our dopamine. The gut-brain access is a real thing, my friends. When they talk about a gut feeling, um, that's real because there's a connection there. You get the stress, the stress of feeling, you feel the upset stomach, that's a real thing. So if you're interested in learning more about gut health, probiotic systems, and healing from the inside out, striking the roots, uh, let me know. I just did a webinar on it. So if you want to check it out, Hit me up on my social medias on Instagram at John Odermatt or Twitter at John Odermatt or you can find me on the Facebook. That's all I got for you guys today. And if you have anything for me, any topic suggestions for Felony Friday, as always, you can reach out to me, Felony Friday at lionsofliberty.com. Hope you all have a great weekend. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.